0: Just a note before we begin, an unedited version of this episode is available at our website, alterguild.org. That's A L T E R guild.org.
1: Hey, it's Meta here. Today we're talking about parenting and public education when it comes into tension with our personal privilege. I'm here with Derek and Matt and Miriam. Derek, did you go to public or private school?
2: Yeah, I was a half cake eater. I went to. Uh public school to start. And then like in seventh grade, I switched over to a private high school and then did a liberal arts private college.
1: What about you, Matt?
2: Yeah, I grew up at a K-8 parochial school, lots of Bible memorizing and memory tests, uh, and then went to public high school, then back to more parochial college.
0: And Miriam, you had a buffet. I did. I I have experienced, let's see, a neighborhood preschool, a Lutheran parochial elementary school, um, an inner city elementary school, public elementary school, a Waldorf school, which is a sort of hippie run, philosophically minded, uh, sort of system that whoa, exists. Whoa, 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 wait, 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 what is that? That sounds awesome. Well, it originated in Germany. Um, and this guy named Rudolf Steiner has, he's a philosopher and he has all of these sort of, um ways of thinking about child development and so every piece of Waldorf school curriculum sort of aligns with his philosophy so you study certain things at certain
2: so your life was a Wes Anderson movie is what you're a saying a little bit that's amazing. yeah <laughs> but just for three years that was middle school that's so cool
0: then I ended up in a, a private high school and then a private liberal arts uh, college as well We've all heard it said that
1: education is the great equalizer, but is it? I mean, would school choice be so strongly emphasized if that were actually true? I attended public suburban schools through eighth grade and then went to private schools for high school and college. And now as an adult, I realize I grew up in neighborhoods where two and three generations prior, black and brown families could not qualify for home loans and landlords could legally decline their applications based on race. These days I have three kids and my oldest is just finishing first grade in the Minneapolis public school system. We have a new superintendent who is hell-bent on balancing the budget in a really big district with some of the worst disparities in the country. That means that parents and teachers and neighbors have been showing up for all kinds of complex conversations about funding and resources this year. Tension is really high when you get so many different people with skin in the game together in one room, and education starts to feel like pie. I'd better get a slice before we run out. There's not enough for everyone, so I need to advocate for my kid and make sure my kid gets what he needs, and then some. I don't say much at these meetings because I have a lot to learn and because I can feel my privilege rising up. I come ready-loaded with all these conditions and excuses I could play at any point between now and my son's high school graduation. I could say things like, well, if the class sizes get too big, or if busing is too complicated, if teacher turnover is too high, if the budget seems consumed by specialists and resources that my kid doesn't need. But the thing is, I don't want a conditional relationship with the public schools in my city. I choose to live in Minneapolis, to pay property taxes here and invest in my neighborhood and my neighbors. Our community school is amazing and it inspires me to get involved so that my son can have a great experience in this district for the next 11 years, but also so that every kid in Minneapolis can. I realize that if I ever pull my kid out of Minneapolis public schools, it means pulling his funding along with them. So how do I reconcile this privilege with my citizenship? How do I make and keep promises to all the families in the school system? And not only so far as those promises align with what I want for my little neighborhood and my little special snowflake. I decided to talk to two mothers I admire, both a bit further along on this journey. Steph Smith and Sarah Freeman. I watch them check their privilege as white women living in fairly affluent neighborhoods in South Minneapolis. I see them raising their children to be neighbors and citizens. Instead of using their privilege to the advantage of their own kids, they leverage their voices and relationships by committing to a much broader community.
2: I grew up in Minnesota public schools and graduated from them. My dad taught in Minnesota public schools for 34 years. Um, So I literally and figuratively grew up um, believing that public schools are the foundation, at least, for most good in the world.
1: Sarah Freeman's kids are still young. The oldest is in second grade but she made a commitment to Minneapolis Public Schools. And by that, I don't only mean her neighborhood school, I mean the whole system. She's building relationships and mentoring leaders for the sake of schools on the other side of town and the whole district at large. She's invested out of principle, a love for her own kids, of course, but also for all the kids and families in Minneapolis. Here's Sarah.
2: We've made a conscious and intentional decision to not just be invested in the city by living here and paying taxes, but being at our kids' public schools and advocating for not just their needs at the school, but the school's needs and beyond the school's needs. Um, I've worked to be at North High School and, and serve the district, serve the community in a bigger picture way and i feel a real responsibility and and duty i don't think that's too strong of a word to do those things because of my faith my politics and and my upbringing um but i have seen that that is a shrinking perspective it seems as our as our children get older
1: Like many Midwestern cities, Minneapolis neighborhoods are pretty segregated by race and class. You can still see the effects of neighborhoods redlined out of economic opportunity and upgrades. Low income communities divided when interstate highways came through just a few short generations ago. These days, more and more middle class and upper middle class white families are choosing to live in the city, but clustered in neighborhoods that are already pretty white and a good chunk of the kids from these families are enrolled in private school by 6th or ninth grade. Steph Smith and her husband Steve are in the business of raising men. They are the proud parents of four sons, ages 12 to 23. All four have gone through or are currently enrolled at Minneapolis Public Schools. Steph was really practical about choosing public school. When her oldest child was starting kindergarten, Steph wasn't able to afford a pricey private school. When we were just starting
3: out at um, age, you know, 31, and when Sammy was ready to go to kindergarten, we didn't have the funds to um, look at any other options. So it was practical. There were no other choices. And yet still in the public schools, there was this pressure in South Minneapolis to go on tours of public schools. There was open enrollment at that time. And I remember as a naive 30-something thinking, why do I need to go on these tours for public schools? Why wouldn't I just go to my community school, right? Um, But because I'm so new, I'm like, well, let's go on the tours. And so I would go into the schools, look around, having no clue what to ask, what I was looking for, for my sweet five-year-old, but all the, all the anxious parents were asking questions, and the only question that, there was a thread of questions about the Talented and Gifted program at every single tour, right? And I remember thinking, oh, okay, so this is a really big thing in public schools in Minneapolis. The first question has to be about Gifted and Talented program. I guess my kid is gifted and talented, right? (laughs) Why wouldn't you think that? Of course. So then, you know, about my fourth tour, again, of elementary schools, I was the first one to ask, tell us about your gifted and talented program, right? I wanted to be in with with the trend and what was happening, not having a clue what I was doing, but I knew that was a question Mm -hmm. that would mean I I fit in with, with the discussion.
1: It's funny that you bring up the tours because I'm just—I've just entered into the Minneapolis public school system. I have a first grader, and then two preschoolers, and I went on all the tours, and I felt like, gosh, this feels like college entrance. This is so weird. I,
2: I too, or three for three,
1: did oh, the all tours. the tours. And and you're talking to all of your friends who are considering Chinese immersion or Spanish immersion, STEM programs, gifted and talented. Um, Schools with a particular focus on the environment or s- space or Legos. I don't know. I felt like there were a bajillion choices. And I went on a bunch of those tours, and I f- didn't know what to ask either. And so I was just kind of along for the ride with major imposter syndrome and feeling like this is what I'm supposed to be doing right now. And... Um, And got caught up in it a little bit and got anxious about it and really felt the pressure that I'm supposed to make the right choice for this person who has never really been to school before. He's done the be safe and loved at daycare thing and that's about it. And now I'm supposed to figure out um, like a really specific program for him. Like he's picking a major when he's five and I have to do this for my special snowflake because I have all this privilege and I have to leverage it for my privileged kid uh, and I felt like I was touring different aspects of the system, and I was supposed to, um, you know, education is the great equalizer, wink, wink, pick, make the right choice, pick the right answer.
3: So there, there's some shame that, can, that we love to put so on each other. Weird. What do you mean you aren't going on three, four, five tours, right? And so I remember thinking, yeah. okay, I don't know what I'm doing, but I've got to do this. I've got to say, hey, we toured all the schools, and this mm-hmm. is our choice. Because then I could feel better about myself as a mother, mm-hmm. right? And then I knew that this was best for Sam. That's that's not a narrative that is true.
2: And and it highlights if if that's the choice we have to go out and make an an informed choice. It also highlights how different and disparate our schools are. If there is pressure to, to pick to the, the right, right one choice. and not the wrong one, right. it imply it inherently implies that there's a bad choice which again if we think about the district it shouldn't be okay you know it shouldn't be such a pressure cooker to want to make a good choice because it just highlights that there's a bad choice out there and someone's getting that bad choice.
1: I should add that I don't think there's anything wrong with school tours in and of themselves. We're naturally really curious about where our kids are going to be hanging out all day, what the facilities look like, who works there, how school lunch has changed in the last 30 years. But the pressure to make the right choice, the best choice, it's really intense. Privilege can be sneaky like that. It recognizes rig systems and personal power within that system. And instead of saying, hey, something smells fishy here, I feel this rush like I'm supposed to get what's mine before someone says what we're all thinking. This isn't fair. The process is built on the myth of scarcity and a fear of our neighbors. Public school could be about raising citizens and expanding communities, but it feels like a whole lot of competition and justification and conditions. So how do I walk that line? How do I show up for my kid and all the kids in the tension of what's rigged and real and relational? Again here's Steph with her practical wisdom.
3: So I've always been a little wagged that um, I think my kids are going to turn out okay. Mm-hmm. So that's always been my internal compass um, and that's, that, that's a hard one in, in our community. Um, my kids will be okay, but it always hasn't gone smoothly because they're just humans trying to figure it out and making choices and um, it's beautiful messy. It's not perfect, right? Um, I remember when Sam started in kindergarten all those years ago and there was one program at one high school in southwest Minneapolis that you had to get into, again, in public schools. And I remember at that time, when he was even in kindergarten thinking, that's so odd. Why would there just be one program at one high school that you had to get your kid into? So I'm always, I think I have a radar for trying to be contrarian. Um, That's served me well sometimes, and sometimes not, of course, but, I do, um, you've got to kind of, we live in this community, right? So how much do you play the game? And how much do you say no to the game, right? With grace and your values and still knowing what's best for your kids. It's, It's tricky.
1: I think we're all doing the best we can to hold these things in tension. I guess I know how I'm supposed to show up for my kids and community. I can say all the right things with all the best intentions, but it makes a world of difference knowing that there are other parents like Steph and Sarah a step ahead of me, actually doing it. They're taking it one year at a time, noticing what their kids need, while saying no to the game with grace. Sarah was also curious about that leap from elementary to middle school. So much happens from age twelve to fourteen, and that's when a lot of families like ours tag out of Minneapolis public schools. Here's Sarah again.
2: Uh, but we also, as you and I were discussing before we started, we also see that kind of um, drop off in our advocacy or willing to willingness to be advocates at that kind of critical middle school juncture. Yeah. So, t- like, tell me about that transition to middle school for your boys and how you navigated it as parents because that's going to be the next big threshold my family has mm-hmm. to cross. Mm-hmm. And I'm already seeing people drop like flies, you know, right. between fifth but and Sarah, sixth what, grade. But what, Sarah, what people? What people well, are dropping right. like flies? Na- I mean, neighbors, friends, you know, people in my my community right now is sort of defined as my kids' elementary school. And seeing people who... We won't continue to see at Justice Page or at Washburn. But
3: it, but it's likely white privileged oh, yeah. families Absolutely. with means yes. who have time to go on tours and who have, right? Yeah. The privilege. Well, the, the
1: privilege of choice. Is, what is the fear of continuing on in the system into those middle school years?
2: I am um, stunned by the fear of mediocrity that I see. Mm influencing the parents, at least I've observed, making this decision. Um, and it's funny because, you know, all kids are different. My son is that kid, and, uh, you know, God help you for having four of them. Like, my goal is to keep Jack alive until he's 25, and then I just hope that his kind of brain kicks in yeah. and he you can be sustained. Yeah,
1: have a whole f- prefrontal sustained. cortex by then. Yeah, them. so
2: fearing mediocrity, you know, I – I it's given me I think a better perspective on parenting my girls that that's just having him home at night and happy and healthy is enough. But for many parents that I've seen that that is not enough, and it's the college path. It's you know the need to be in certain programs offered at certain schools. Striving
1: um, to get an. An athletic scholarship to have. Yeah, and
2: just, you know, not um, not comfortable with the notion of being one of 42 kids. Like, your um, notion or, or knowledge that your kids are just going to be okay I think is a simple but powerful one because I see a lot of parents exhibiting panic symptoms, frankly, that their kids might not be okay if so they if- don't do – X, Y, and Z.
3: Like, I'm all about average, okay? Because if I can get my kids, and by the way, I've got amazing human beings that, I'm, that we're raising, okay? Not because of Steve or I, because they're amazing. But I always thought, okay, average is good. Why, let's talk about, the, let's talk about average, yep. right? Why can't that be a goal, right? Um, forget the gifted and talented
1: program. You know, you know why average is awesome why because it comes without all the baggage and anxiety and fear of failure and so there is room for other stuff yeah like hobbies and a sense of humor and passions that don't Plain. fit into a certain category Yep. Yeah. Yeah. i want to be like steph when i grow up if you need someone to stand alongside you in your messy awkwardness Steph is the kind of person who shows up with pom-poms and snacks. You can hear her talking with her hands and banging on the table when she gets passionate in this interview. She's really animated in a particular way, and it's disarming. I've seen her hold brave and vulnerable space so that parents gather to scream and cry and laugh about faith and life while their kids are in confirmation, and teenagers jump around embracing their inner weirdo. They trust her just enough to wander beyond their comfort zone, into all kinds of physical spaces and perspectives that challenge them. I wanna be like Sarah when I grow up too. Each school has its own parent-teacher organization that plans events, supports communication, and raises funds during the school year. She showed up to the PTO meetings for her neighborhood school and realized they already had plenty of support so she went looking to be useful elsewhere in the system. Since then, Sarah has been building relationships with parents and teachers on the north side of the city. Her passion for families and educators in North Minneapolis helped inform her run for state office and has made her an advocate for emerging leaders from underserved and underrepresented neighborhoods. She makes me feel brave enough to show up as a novice, as someone who will definitely make mistakes, who will need my privilege checked a thousand more times along the way, but always for the sake of better using my power as a parent and a citizen and a friend. Sarah, will you say something about how you decided to run for public office this year? I love the story of your daughter. Uh, Yes, I was called out by
2: my second grader, but I think um, what ultimately drove me to run for office was a growing sense of rage that I didn't know (laughs) how to channel Um, and I was uh, complaining to my husband as people will do at dinner and you know kids if I didn't know before I know now that they're always listening and paying attention and we have a rule at our house um, that I had to implement around dinner that you can't complain about whatever has been, you know, served to you until you try it. And I was complaining about um, a a political, um, a dearth of kind of inspiring political candidates to choose from in a specific race. And my daughter said, mom, you can't complain about it if you don't try it. And so I've joked that I basically had to run for office so that Charlotte didn't, Think I was a fraud, um, <laughs> but it it um, it doesn't take that much for us to do, and especially as Christians, um, you know, we're called we're called to go build those bridges. And I don't know, you know, we're lucky to be a I call us a full faith family because we've got a few, um, but in Judaism, there is such an ingrained an inherent obligation to each other. You know, Yom Kippur teaches you cannot go to God for forgiveness until you have gone to everyone you've wronged for forgiveness. It is inter Your relationship with God is dependent mm-hmm. upon and sort of scored by your relationship with your fellow man. And there's a, a th- sort of theory or a Jewish tradition called tzedakah that goes beyond tithing and and beyond give money to those who need it and, and calls on you specifically to give yourself to those who need it. So it's beyond just I get to write my check and say I've, you know, done my part. It, it requires privileged people to still give of, of themselves. And I think I just see so many opportunities to do that, whether it's running for office or helping your Miller Market, those opportunities to serve and and relate are out there. And I think Steph and I, I see, I look up to you because I see you also as an ambassador of what you can do if you're just intentional and conscious of, of what it can look like. Um, But sadly, those examples aren't always in ready supply.
1: You two have given me good language today that I'll carry with me into life at our community school. I hear you talking about the difference between a transaction and a relationship. That if we're treating our children's education as as a commodity, and as something available for purchase and um, um, something that we can um, store up the best quality that's out there for ourselves versus building something out of relationships that require the giving of ourselves and uh, showing up in all kinds of different places. That's really helpful to me to think about what it means to be a parent with privilege. It means I need to choose uh, my relationships as a citizen and a parent over, um, over the, the goods and the game and, and, the, and the transactions. So thank you for that. Because um,
3: your, your kids don't stop growing and learning after ed- their
2: education stops, right?
3: Like, it just keeps getting better and better, I found.
2: FYI. And if it's a means to an end, if it's all just about getting into Yale early, um, it it ensures that the 13 years you spend doing it are not going to be relational or special even if it's just a means to an end, Mm -hmm. and I think that um, I see it as a uniquely American culture that we're unfortunately exporting to other places, but that um, that notion that if you're great, it's because you were individually great um, also means that if you weren't great, it's because of some failure on your part. And if it's all just a means to, you know, it's, getting to the next rung on the ladder, then the entire climb is meaningless, and we basically live out that Cats in the Cradle song, I think.
1: <laughs> well, thanks, ladies. Minneapolis Public Schools are lucky to vigil- have you. Yeah. <laughs> I think they're just playing cat students Are they? And, um, and it makes me proud to be in this system with you raising citizens and loving my neighbors and being in all kinds of relationships together. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Mayda. Alter Guild is hosted by Meta Herrick Carlson, Matthew Ian Fleming, Miriam Samuelson Roberts, and Derek Tronsgaard with edits by Matt and Derek. You can visit our website at altarguild.org. That's A-L-T-E-R. And find us on Twitter and Facebook at slash AlterGuild. To listen to more episodes or to subscribe, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else fine podcasts are sold. And if you like what we're doing, please leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening and be sure to tune in next week for our next episode. In the meantime, go in peace, listen, love, serve, and alter.